The following message is brought to you by Berean Bible Church and may be used and distributed free of charge. For more free audio, video, and text resources, be sure to visit www.bereanbiblechurch.org. Thank you. Good morning. I want to welcome you this morning to Berean Bible Church. Um, We're continuing to work our way through this fourth gospel, and today we come to chapter 10. Now, let me just say here that the chapter break here is not really useful, all right? Now, saying that, I do appreciate the chapter and verses that they have put in the Bible because can you imagine us here this morning if they weren't there? All right, I tell you, take your Bibles and find the book of John, then go about a third of the way through it, you know, and look for where it says truly true, you know, and can you imagine how difficult that would be to find the scripture that I'm talking about? So, the chapter and verses are helpful, but they didn't always put them in the right places. And I think this is one of those times when they didn't put them in the right place because I think chapter 10, verses 1 through 21, is really a commentary on chapter 9. Now, you remember what happened in chapter 9? We have the healing of the man who was born blind from birth. Yeshua heals him physically, and as a result of this, you know, his neighbors are all talking to him about it. What is going on? Is this the same man? And then, you know, he's talking to his parents or in, get involved in the thing. And then the Pharisees are involved, and the Pharisees are questioning everybody because they just can't buy the fact that this guy was actually healed. And he comes to the place by the end of the chapter where he says, Lord, I believe, and he worships Yeshua. So it's a remarkable picture of a physical healing that led to a spiritual healing. Now, the healed blind man has been really roughly treated by the religious authorities. They even threw him out of the synagogue. All right? Now, today, with our Western eyes, we find it hard to grasp the profound impact of being thrown out of the synagogue. But to them, it wasn't like you know, getting kicked out of the church. You just go to the next block and you find another church. To them, it was a rejection of their family. They become an outsider. Their whole community would reject them, which meant it was hard to get work. It's hard to do anything. So it was a big deal to be kicked out of the synagogue. You know, and as you look at the story, not once did the Jewish religious leaders rejoice over the amazing fact that this man, born blind, now sees. They knew the Scriptures, They knew that only God gives sight. They had to recognize that God had opened this guy's eyes, but they don't rejoice over that. They're more concerned that Yeshua did this on the Sabbath. And it violated their man-made rules, their legalistic man-made rules of what someone could and could not do on the Sabbath. So what Lazarus does next as we get to chapter 10 then, is he explains that there's many thieves and there's many robbers that try to destroy the sheep. So you got to keep in mind, this is connected with nine. All right? And he's talking to the man, he's talking, when he talks about these sheep, he's talking about the man who was born blind, while the good shepherd, he says, leads them out from the sheep pen and brings them into his own flock. So the thematic as well as the linguistic connections in these two chapters are really strong. John 10 draws heavily on the shepherd imagery, which is an imagery that we see in Scripture from beginning to end. Now, this is the first time in John's Gospel that he talks about the shepherding idea. But this text is the closest thing in the fourth Gospel to a parable. 
It's more like an allegory or a symbolic illustration. The first five verses of chapter 10 reflect very heavily on the common practice understood of shepherding in the Palestine area at that time. Shepherd is very common in the land of Israel. Uh, The main part of Judea is a central plateau. It's very rocky. It wasn't good for crops. And so it became a place where shepherds would graze their sheep. From Bethel to Hebron, about 35 miles, a plateau, maybe about 15 to 17 miles wide. The ground's rough, the ground's stony, grass was sparse, but this is where the sheep would normally graze. Now, Yeshua's audience understood shepherding. This is part of their culture. So they understood the parable comparing Yeshua's relationship to His covenant people with a shepherd's relationship to his sheep. They got this. They understand it. We, not so much. Okay? In order to really understand what Yeshua is saying here, we need to have some understanding of sheep and shepherds. That's the culture. That's what he's talking about. He's making comparisons here. And we're not going to get it if we don't understand a little bit about sheep. So we'll talk a little bit about that in a second here. But I want you to know that throughout the Tanakh, we see that Yahweh has had a special love, a special care for shepherds. Anyone know who the first shepherd mentioned in the Bible is? It was Abel. He was the son of Adam, who was a shepherd, the Bible says, who found favor with God. How about anybody else? Can you think of any other shepherds? Any? What? Abraham. Abraham, Genesis 21, is described as a man with many herds and sheep. Jacob is a shepherd for his uncle Laban in Genesis 30. How about Joseph? He was shepherding his father. Jacob's flocks, Genesis 37. How about Moses? He was prince of Egypt. He went from prince of Egypt to shepherd of Midian in Exodus 3. How about David? Shepherd of his father's flocks, 1 Samuel 16.11. Amos, the Judean shepherd, was God's prophet to the northern kingdom of Israel, according to Amos 1.1. Now let me ask you this. Who is the most well-known shepherd in the Tanakh? Huh? Yahweh. Okay? The most well-known shepherd, it's Yahweh. Alright? And Yeshua's audience not only understood the agrarian reality of shepherding and caring for a flock, but they knew enough about the Tanakh to know that Yahweh Himself was presented as a shepherd. Yahweh frequently compared His relationship with Israel to that of a shepherd. Where would you go in the Tanakh to talk to hear something about sheep and shepherds in our relationship? Can you think of anything that stands out? Pretty famous psalm, the 23rd Psalm, okay? Which is traditionally attributed to King David. It's probably the most beautiful literary expression of the comparison between shepherds' care for his sheep and Yahweh's faithful mercy for his people. It says, Yahweh is my shepherd. Beautiful psalm, everybody knows the psalm. It's not really meaningful if you don't understand the relationship between sheep and a shepherd. And not too many of us do. Anybody got sheep at home? Anybody worked as a shepherd? No. We see sheep in the zoo sometimes, or maybe on TV, but we don't know a lot about them. 
But he says, the Yahweh is my shepherd. And therefore, he says, I shall not want. Why? Because the shepherd's job is to provide everything the sheep need to take care of the sheep. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. We'll talk about the point of the quiet waters in a minute here. He restores my soul. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. The shepherd would go before the sheep and the sheep would follow. He would prepare the way, make sure it was safe, make sure they had what they needed along the way. For His name's sake, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will feel no evil. Why? Because you're with me. The shepherd's there taking care. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of Yahweh forever. This psalm gives thanks to God for His faithful love to the righteous, which is illustrated by the imagery of a good shepherd. Now this shepherd sheep imagery like I said, is really not helpful to 21st century American Christians who know nothing about sheep. The more we understand about sheep and shepherds, the more we're going to get out of this imagery. So, in Weldon Keller's book, which is entitled, A Shepherd Looks at the 23rd Psalm, he gives us some very interesting insights into the habits of a flock of sheep that can be compared to Yeshua's role as God's supreme shepherd of the new covenant. He tells us that sheep depend on the shepherd for their well-being. They're totally dependent. They don't take care of themselves. They can't take care of themselves. Sheep are really dumb. Does that remind you of anyone? (laughs) Sheep are really dumb. Here's something. Sheep are sociable animals that travel in a large flock. But not too close together. They like their personal space. I was like, that's interesting. They're social animals, but you know, don't get in my face. I need a little bit of space here. The sheep want their own you know, space. They're not too jammed. Sometimes sheep lose connection with the flock and can tend to stray, which often leads to disaster. Often sheep are unaware of the dangers of the world. At the beginning of the spring, just before the shearing, when the streams and the rivers are full and they're running deep, the shepherd's got to be really careful to keep the sheep away from moving water. Because sometimes it's necessary for the shepherd to dam up a portion of a stream so that the animals can drink. They want the water still. All right, that's Psalm 23. He leads me beside quiet waters. It's important. Why? Because if the shepherd doesn't protect the sheep, in their thirst, they'll go down into moving water and they got all that wool. When that wool gets saturated, they'll just go down and drown. So they have to be cared for. That's the idea of the quiet waters. The sheep learn the sound of the voice of the shepherd, and when he calls, they come. But they'll run away from the voice of a stranger. You can't just go out and call sheep and they'll follow you, but when the shepherd calls, they'll follow that shepherd. And in the same way that a shepherd understands his flock, the Scriptures teach us that our Lord Yeshua, the Good Shepherd, He knows us. He knows our weakness, as well as our strength and our needs. Every night when the sheep would be brought back into the fold, the shepherd would put his rod down and stop each sheep and examine them. Make sure they're okay. No damage on this sheep, no, ru- no, bru- no bruises or wounds that he's got to take care of, but he's got to fix. And then he'd let them in the pen. So there was an intimate relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. Often if the sheep would keep straying away from the flock, 
The shepherd would break their legs. You say, that doesn't sound very nice or very loving. He would break their legs and he'd put them on his neck and he would carry those sheep around and they'd get really attached. You know, doesn't the Lord have to do that to us sometimes? You know, we keep straying away, keep straying, and he's got to break those legs and pull us close so we get catch on to that attachment. Notice what Mark tells us about Yeshua's care for his sheep. When Yeshua went ashore, he saw a large crowd, and he felt compassion for them. Why? Because they're like sheep without a shepherd. So he feels this compassion because sheep without a shepherd are a disaster. It's very dangerous. They panic. They don't know where to go for food and water. They're constantly in danger without the shepherd there to take care of them. Now, as I said earlier, Yahweh frequently compares His relationship with Israel to a shepherd and a sheep. And we see that throughout the Tanakh. Psalm 77.20 says, You lead your people like a flock. Now, the shepherd doesn't drive the sheep. He leads them. He's out in front and the sheep follow him. Psalm 79.13 says, We, your people, and the sheep of your pasture will give thanks to you. Just constant illustration throughout the Bible. Psalm 80, verse 1 says, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. And Psalm 95 says, We are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. So Yeshua uses the sheep imagery in John 10 as a strong background in the Tanakh. All right? So when the Lord in chapter 10 here is talking about sheep, He's going back to the Old Testament. So let me say this again. We've got to understand this. The writers of the New Testament, all right, supposed that their readers understood the Tanakh. Their readers were Hebrew. They were Hebrew. And if we don't understand the language of the first three quarters of the Bible, we're going to get lost in the last quarter of the New Testament. Everybody who wants to run to the New Testament and read, all the concepts, the terms are all built and developed in the first three quarters. So we've got to have a knowledge of the beginning of the Bible when we jump into the New Testament. Well, Yeshua uses the imagery of a good shepherd in this chapter 10, which should be understood in light of the passages that we see throughout the Tanakh. Passages that criticize Israel's shepherds who have failed in their duty. And it's likely that Yeshua was drawing, I think, on Ezekiel 34 in our text. I think He knows His people know that imagery, and He's drawing on the metaphorical use of sheep language. And so the background of Ezekiel 34 is especially important to John 10. Ezekiel described Israel as God's flock. And the rulers as the shepherds. Rather than feeding the sheep, the rulers, and I think when he talks about the rulers, kings are referred to as shepherds. David was a shepherd in the Old Covenant. And priests were also considered as shepherds. So he is saying these shepherds are ignoring the flock. They're actually preying on the flock instead of protecting them. They're supposed to be caring for them. They're supposed to be watching out for them. They're preying on them. As a result, the flock is scattered and devoured by wild animals. And the false shepherds are going to be removed, he says, from their position of leadership. And God will come again and be the shepherd of His people. He's going to gather His people. He's going to lead them back to good pastures. So I want to look at Ezekiel 34. We're just going to read through the the whole chapter because it's very significant as background for our text. 
Verse 1 and 2 says, Then the word of Yahweh came to me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. So I want you to speak against these shepherds, these kings, these priests, who are not taking care of my people. Prophesy and say to those shepherds, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Woe, shepherds. That's a pronouncement of judgment. Shepherds of Israel who have been feeding themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock? Here Ezekiel is told to prophesy against the shepherds, the kings, the priesthood of Israel. Prophesy because they're not doing what they're called to do. Verse 3-6 through says, You eat the fat, and you clothe yourselves with the wool. You slaughter the fat sheep without feeding the flock. Those who are sickly, you have not strengthened. The diseased you have not healed. The broken you have not bound up. These are all things shepherds are supposed to do. The scattered you have not brought back. They haven't gone after the lost sheep. Nor have you sought for the lost. But with force and severity you have dominated them. They were scattered for a lack of shepherd. They became food for every beast of the field and were scattered. My flock wandered through all the mountains and on every high hill. See, they were scattered because the shepherd wasn't there to take care of them. They weren't doing what God had called them to do. He says, my flock was scattered over all the surface of the earth, and there was no one to search for them. In verse 34, chapter 34, 7-10, through he says, Therefore you shepherds hear the word of Yahweh, as I live declares the Lord Yahweh. Surely, because my flock has become a prey, my flock has even become food for all the beasts of the field, for lack of a shepherd, and my shepherds did not search for my flock, but rather the shepherds fed themselves. They're just caring for themselves, they're not caring for the people. They did not feed my flock, therefore you shepherds, hear the word of Yahweh. Thus says the Lord Yahweh, behold, I am against the shepherds. And I will demand my sheep from them and make them cease from feeding the sheep so the shepherds will not feed themselves anymore. But I will deliver my flock from their mouth so that they will not be food for them. Now, in verses 11 through 16, Yahweh makes three promises to His people. In verse 11, He promises that He's going to take care of His sheep. He says, For thus says the Lord Yahweh, Behold, I Myself will search for my sheep, and seek them out. Does that sound familiar to anybody? I'm going to search out my sheep. Who's speaking here? Yahweh's speaking. I'm going to go get my sheep. I'm going to get them back. As a shepherd cares for his herd in the day when he is among the scattered sheep, so I will care for my sheep. I will deliver them from all the places which they were scattered on a cloudy and gloomy day. So Yahweh says He's going to care for His sheep. He's going to deliver His sheep. What's another word for deliver? This is the Hebrew word natsal, which according to Brown, Driver, and Briggs, Hebrew definitions, one of its meanings is save. So Yahweh is saying here, I'm going to seek and save my sheep. That's what he's saying. I'm going to seek the sheep. I'm going to save the sheep. Now hang on to that thought, okay? That should sound familiar to you. Hang on to that. We'll come back to it in a minute. In verse 13, he promises to bring them back from where they have been scattered. 
I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and bring them to their own land. You know, this started at Pentecost when he began. The, the gospel went to all the nations. He promised them to bring his sheep back. And I will feed them on my mountain of Israel by the streams and in all the inhabited places of the land. I will feed them in good pasture. And their grazing ground will be on the mountain heights of Israel. There they will lie down on good grazing ground and feed in the rich pasture on the mountains of Israel. I will feed my flock and I will lead them to rest, declares the Lord Yahweh. He's going to take care. He's going to do what these shepherds are not doing. Now in verse 16, he promises to be a true shepherd to his people. I will seek the lost. Bring back the scattered. Bind up the broken and strengthen the sick. I'm going to do what a shepherd's supposed to do. But the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them with judgment. Now, remember what I told you earlier to hang on to. Does this verse sound familiar? I'm going to seek the lost. Yeshua quotes this in His comments to Zacchaeus in Luke 19. He says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and save that's what was lost. Well, we just saw in Ezekiel, that's Yahweh saying that. So now Yeshua is saying it. So what's He saying? He's saying, I am Yahweh in the flesh. He is saying He's going to do the very thing that Yahweh said He's going to do. And that's what we've seen all through the Gospel of John. He is trying to let them know, I am Yahweh. Incarcerate. Ah, no, that's not the word I want. <laughs> Incarnate. Thank you. Ah. <laughs> Just wash my tongue, can't do a thing with it. <laughs> Yahweh incarnate, He is there with the people. And over and over we see that. He is quoting what Yahweh said and He is quoting it for Himself. Well, Israel, Israel's shepherd Savior. That's what He is. And this is just another strong declaration of the deity of Christ. You know, but if you don't know what he's quoting here when he says these things in John 10 about or in, in, his, in Luke here, 19.10 about seeking and saving the lost. If you're not familiar with Ezekiel 34, you don't get it. Alright, let's go back to Ezekiel. Because you push with side and with shoulder and thrust all the weak with your horns until you have scattered them abroad, therefore I will deliver my flocks and they will no longer be a prey. I will judge between one sheep and another then I will set over them one shepherd. He's going to deliver his flock. He's going to save this flock. He's going to put over them one shepherd. My servant David. David is a shepherd. So he's saying, my servant David, he will feed them. He will feed them himself and be their shepherd. And I, Yahweh, will be their God. And my servant David will be prince among them. I, Yahweh, have spoken. So God here is promising that the day is going to come when He will raise up a shepherd. And he's talking about Messiah here. The branch. From the line of King David, he's going to reign as a king uniting Israel and Judah. The Old Covenant people understood from this passage that the shepherd was to come from the chosen line of David. It's not talking about David himself. It's David's descendant. Messiah. Who's going to come and be a true shepherd to his people. They're all familiar with this stuff. So when you get to John 10 and he starts saying, I'm a shepherd, they're like, what? This is, he's the fulfillment of the prophecies? Let's go on. I will make a covenant of peace with them. And eliminate harmful beasts from the land so that they may live securely in the wilderness. 
and sleep in the woods. I will make them in the places around my hill a blessing. I will cause showers to come down in their seasons. You're thinking, oh yeah, he's going to rain a lot. Well, look what he says. There'll be showers of blessing. This is spiritual, people. He's talking about the spiritual blessing of the new covenant. Also, the tree of the field will yield its fruit. The earth will yield its increase. And they will be secure in the land. Then they will know that I am Yahweh and I have broken the bars of their yoke and have delivered them from the hand. He's got, again, this idea of deliverance, saving, salvation, deliver them from the hand of those who enslave them. They will no longer be a prey to the nations. And the beasts of the earth will no longer devour them. But they will live securely. And no one will make them afraid. I will establish for them a renowned planting place and they will not again be victims of famine in the land. And they will not endure the insults of the nations anymore. Then they will know that I, Yahweh, their God, am with them, and that they, the house of Israel, are my people, declares the Lord Yahweh. As for you, my sheep, the sheep of my pasture, you are men, and I am your God, declares the Lord Yahweh. So he's trying to give this illustration. You're men. I'm talking to you. You're, I know you're people, but I'm relating this idea of sheep so you can understand the sheep-shepherd mentality. Now this prophecy in Ezekiel 34 was perfectly fulfilled by Yeshua of Nazareth. The son of David, the good shepherd, when he began because of the resurrection, when he began to call all nations back to himself in Pentecost because of his sacrifice, Now let's jump over to Ezekiel 37 for just a minute. He says, I will make a covenant of peace with them. We already saw that covenant of peace. He says, it will be an everlasting covenant. Now, how long do you think an everlasting covenant would last? For a little while anyway, right? I mean, it's an everlasting covenant. There's no last days to the everlasting covenant. All right? I will place them and multiply them and will set my sanctuary in their midst forever. He's going to take his sanctuary and put it in the midst of the people. My dwelling place also will be with them. I will be their God and they will be my people. Does that sound familiar? That's what he says in Revelation 21. They'll be my God, I'll be their people. And the nations will know that I am Yahweh who sanctifies Israel when my sanctuary is in their midst forever. Now let me ask you something. How has Yeshua fulfilled the prophecy of His sanctuary being in the midst forever? Yeshua is the temple. He is the new sanctuary. The body of the risen Christ is the spiritual temple from which the living waters of salvation flow. The body, the church, and His body, the church, are the true temple. So Yeshua is the temple. He said, destroy this temple, and I'll raise it in three days. Referring to His own body. Because He is the living temple. We are the body of Christ. We are the temple of Christ also. We are the true temple. And what is the temple? It's the dwelling place of God. So people, here's what it's saying. We, you and I, as believers, are sacred space. That's the temple with sacred space. That's where God dwelt. That's what Garden of Eden was sacred space. That's where God dwelt. We are sacred space. We are the dwelling place of Yahweh. He dwells within us. Now, if this in Ezekiel is the background for Yeshua's teaching in John 10, 
then the context of Yeshua's ministry, he's dealing here with the thieves and the robbers. These are the religious leaders who are more interested in fleecing the sheep than in guiding them, than nurturing them, than guarding them. Yeshua looks at the Pharisees before him. Remember in the end of chapter 9, he's arguing with the Pharisees. They're kind of shepherds that Israel has, I mean, that Ezekiel has condemned. And that's what he's saying. You guys, you're the ones that Ezekiel talked about. And we see this shepherd sheep imagery throughout the Tanakh. And we also see it as we come to the New Testament. Who are the first men to come to worship the Christ child? It's the shepherds from the fields around Bethlehem, right? And scholars believe that these it was in Bethlehem that the lambs for the daily sacrifice were kept. And so these shepherds may have been the very shepherds who tended and cared for the sheep that were used constantly for sacrifices. And these are the first ones to show up to the true Lamb of God. Now, throughout the New Testament, there's a number of places where Yeshua is referred to as the one shepherd. Best known parable probably about the lost sheep is Matthew 18, Luke 15, where Yeshua is the shepherd who risked his life to save the straying sheep. Yeshua also describes uh, his disciples as sheep. In Mark 14, 27, he quoted Zechariah 13, 7. He says, strike the shepherd and the sheep will be scattered. It's an obvious reference to himself as the shepherd and his disciples as the sheep. In Luke 12, 32, he portrays Yeshua calling the disciples little flock. They were his flock. 1 Peter 2.25 calls the Lord Yeshua the shepherd of our souls. That's, I like that designation. He's the shepherd. He's the watcher. He's the care of our souls. And the writer of Hebrews in 13.20 says it is in this great closing benediction that he is the great shepherd of the sheep. All right, now with all that as background, as that is an introduction, let's get into our text for this morning, okay? And it won't take us long to get through this text because now we have an un, some kind of an understanding, hopefully, about what it means, the shepherd and the sheep idea. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, now, we're, we're going to skip the chapter and verse division here. We're going right from 9. He's arguing with the Pharisees. And he says, truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the door into the fold of the sheep, but climbs up some other way, he's a thief and a robber. All right? He starts out, truly, truly. Now, J.H. Bernard maintained that this double amin here never introduces a totally new topic in the fourth gospel. So, he's just trying to support the argument. This, there shouldn't be a chapter and verse division here, all right? Or chapter division here. There's no new audience mentioned or suggested here. So, it seems evident that Yeshua is continuing his remarks with the Pharisees who he's been arguing with in 941. Now, interesting, the NIV puts it this way. Truly, truly, I tell you Pharisees. By identifying Yeshua's hearers as Pharisees, the NIV rightly recognizes that Yeshua's continue to speak to the same people. So they got it right here. But here's my problem. That's not a translation. That's a commentary. They're adding something. There's no Pharisees in that verse, okay, in the Greek text. So they're saying, well, let me add this so you can understand it. Which, again, they did a good job here. A lot of times they do that, they do a bad job. You know, and I would rather just tell me what the text says and let me figure stuff out. Don't give commentary because people look at it and they think, well, this is a translation of the Bible. Well, yeah, but it's loose in places, okay? They're giving you their opinion. Again, I think they're right here, but all right. 
So it's the same day. Is, it, is the argument going on with the Pharisees about the blind man? It's the same scene, same people, and Yeshua is responding to that event. And he's giving them this story, this parable, to illustrate what he thinks of them. Now, in this context, the healed blind man, he's one of the sheep. He's one of the sheep who hears Yeshua's voice. And those who expelled him from the synagogue are compared to the thieves, the robbers, and the wolves. And Yeshua is the good shepherd. So the response of the sheep is like the response of the blind man in John chapter 9. And the care of the shepherd for the sheep, referred to in chapter 10, is like the care of the Lord Yeshua for the blind man. When he's thrown out of the synagogue, of course, the verse 35, we read this. Yeshua heard that he'd been put out. The sheep had been kicked out of the fold. And finding him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? So he believes in Yeshua, brings him into his fold. So Yeshua cares for his sheep. So he finds this one who's kicked out and he brings him in. He brings him to faith in himself. So what we have in chapter 10 is an allegorical or a symbolic picture of the events that we see in 9, which further suggests the meaning of what happened there. He says, by the door of the fold of the sheep. Now, we're probably not too familiar with folds of sheep. These details would be familiar, of course, to Lazarus readers. They, they, they were shepherds. They, they understood this stuff. Not so much for us. Many of you, like me, grew up in the city and don't know a whole lot about shepherding. All right? But the sheep were kept in a fold at night. A sheep pen, a fold. There are several types of sheepfold used in Palestine. There were large sheepfolds for which a doorkeeper was employed. So a bunch of different shepherds would bring their flocks at night to this one sheepfold, put all their sheep in there. Let's say there's five shepherds. They put all their sheep in there. They hire somebody who's going to stay there that night and guard the sheep and not going to let them out for anybody but them. When they come back in the morning, they're going to come back and they're going to you know, call their own sheep out by name and the sheep will come out to them, only to them. Uh, Ray Vanderland tells a story. He used to do trips over to the Holy Land, except he wouldn't basically go to Jerusalem. He'd take him out to Galilee and out in the outskirts to see what really things really transpired. And he said, I had a group of kids, and we're all out there in the wilderness, and we came across this old Roman fort. You know, it was all broke down, but there was a wall around it and stuff. So we took all our stuff, and they put their stuff in the Roman fort, and then they went out to do some sightseeing. And when they came back near the evening, he said about five or six shepherds had put all their sheep in that you know, so he had to, the kids had to dig out their book bags and they're covered with sheep, you know, manure and all this stuff, you know. So they get all their stuff and he goes, but, you know, we camped out right near there because I wanted to show him something. And the next morning, one of the shepherds got up and he stood outside the door and he called his sheep. And his whole group of sheep just comes right out to him and he walks away and they all follow him. And the next shepherd comes up and he calls his sheep and these sheep come out and none of the other shepherd's sheep come follow that one shepherd. They knew their shepherd's voice. They only follow their shepherd. So that's the type. This is the this fold here, this large fold, I think is what ref, Yeshua is referring to here. All right? That's what he's talking about in these verses. Now there was also small one shepherd sheepfolds. Like if the shepherd is out at night, he's far away, he's got to take care of those sheep at night. They would take a bunch of thorn bushes and kind of build an enclosure like to keep the sheep in, or they take find a cave nearby. A lot of caves around there. They put the sheep in a cave. And then the shepherd himself would be the doorway. All right, the shepherd would lay down 
right in the doorway. He was the doorway. The sheep wouldn't go over him. You know, nothing could come in to protect that doorway. So Yeshua, he combines these dual images. He says that he is the door, but he also says he's the shepherd. He's the one person who is all, and that's how the shepherd was. Now, I think it's clear here that the sheepfold, in this analogy, the sheepfold represents Judaism. All right? The Lord Yeshua came with a ministry to the nation Israel. Notice what he says in Matthew 15, 24. But he answered and said, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. So the fold of the sheep is Judaism. He says, he who does not enter by the door. Now, the door here represents the lawful way, the lawful entrance into Judaism for the shepherd. And it seems best to see the door as the messianic office. According to the scriptures, it told us here's the requirements of the messianic office. It's through that door, the messianic office, that one enters to have authority over the sheep. He says, but he climbs up some other way. He's a thief and a robber. He's not coming through the door. He's climbing over the wall, or he's trying to get over these thorn bushes, trying to get in the cave some other way. These thieves, these robbers, are the stranger and the hireling that's mentioned later in this text. They're the Jewish religious leaders who were unfaithful to God and were seeking to harm the sheep for personal gain. This blind man is one of the sheep. God give him his sight, and they don't care. They could care less that he's been healed. They're only thinking about themselves. So the Pharisees in this text are the thieves and the robbers. They got to their position of shepherd-like leadership without the blessing of the gatekeeper. They are not faithful shepherds. They're the stranger in verse 5. They're the ones who climb over the wall instead of using the gate. He says, but he who enters by the door is a shepherd of the sheep. The true shepherd, the good shepherd, is the one who enters through the door. He is the door. And the door of the Messianic office described in the Tanakh, only the shepherd that enters through the door has authority over his sheep. He says, to him, the doorkeeper opens. When those shepherds came back in the morning, that doorkeeper knew who the shepherds were, who had their flock there, wasn't going to let anybody in. And the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. The true shepherd, the good shepherd, is the one who enters through the door. Again, the door being the messianic office. Only the one true shepherd knows his way in. He's, he's the doorkeeper. Now, there's a lot of argument among people of who's the doorkeeper here. You know, because they got a story, so they got to take every single element of the story and make something fit. And, and you don't necessarily have to do that, Okay. Paul Harris writes this. He says, There have been many attempts to identify the doorkeeper, none of which are convincing. It seems more likely that there are some details in the parable which are there for the sake of the story. All right? Necessarily as parts of the overall picture, but without symbolic significance. They're just, it's part of the story. It doesn't, everything doesn't have to match. I agree with him. I think what he's saying here is right. Many commentators, though, say the doorkeeper is John the Baptizer. He was the door, you know, that announced Christ. And, okay, I see what they're saying. I just don't think it's necessary. I don't think you have to pull every, you know, little part of the story out and make it somebody or something. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name. Now, the sheep here, the sheepfold is Israel, Judaism. The sheep here represent what? The elect within Israel. 
Alright? This pictures Yeshua calling every individual whom the Father has given Him to follow Him out from the non-elect of Israel. In chapter 1 of this Gospel, Lazarus wrote this, He came to His own, Israel. And those who were His own didn't receive Him. But as many as received Him, to them gave He the right to become the children of God, even to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. So he uses three different expressions here of human reproduction. Of bloods, of the will of the flesh, of the will of man. They are all denied, denied as effective in creating children of God. The children of God are those who are born, in the little Greek here reads, out of God. The sheep are born of God. And we should already understand this from getting to this chapter already. John six thirty seven, Yeshua said this, all that the Father gives me will come to me. Who comes to Yeshua? Those the Father has given. That's the elect. The sheep are only those that are given by the Father to the Son. And the one who comes to me, I'm not going to cast out, certainly, because he comes to me because he belongs to me. He's one of my sheep. Look at verse 65. And he was saying, for this reason, I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him for the Father. So he's saying, listen, he's preaching to these people. He's telling them they need to be saved. They need to believe in Messiah. But he goes, you know what? None of you can come to me. You guys are confused. You don't understand what I'm saying. That's because you can't come to me. Unless there has to be a condition, it's been granted from the Father. In other words, the Father has to give. No one comes unless he's part of the elect. That's those who have been granted by the Father. So the sheep were the elect from the nation Israel given to the Lord by Yeshua. Now in John 8, verse 47, Yeshua says this, He who is of God hears the words of God. So who hears God's word? The people who belong to Him. For this reason, for this reason, you do not hear them because you're not a God. See, the one who hears the words of God, Yeshua said, my sheep hear my voice. So the elect of the nation Israel, they hear the voice of God and they come out. In chapter 10 later, Yeshua is going to say this, you do not believe because you are not of my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them and they follow me. Now what I want you to notice here, he does not say, you are not my sheep because you don't believe in me. The reason you don't believe in me is because you're not my sheep. That's the reason you don't believe. You have to be my sheep, elect of God, chosen of the Father before eternity passed, to be able to believe. Now what we have to see here is that Yeshua makes a division in mankind. There are those who are sheep. There are those who are not His sheep. Yeshua is not a universalist. Okay? I got some sheep. Some are not mine. He's calling His elect out of the nation Israel. Out of this you know, group of people that are under these false shepherds, He's calling them out to Himself. The blind man being an illustration, or the blind man being one of these people. The sheep and the shepherd in illustration. Paul put it this way in Romans 9. It is not as though the Word of God has failed. 
for they are not all Israel who are descended from Israel. In other words, just because you come out of Israel doesn't mean you're true Israelite. Amongst the nation of Israel, there was elect and there were others who were not elect. They were lost. Always would be. So Yeshua calls His true sheep out from among the false sheep of the nation Israel. All the covenant people were not the true people of God. See, one's faith, not his lineage, determines one's future. Faith is personal, it's not national. They say, well, we're children of Abraham. Too bad. If you're not chosen, you're not part of real, true Israel. All right? He goes, he calls his own sheep by name. Now, Palestinian shepherds, according to Bernard, frequently have pet names for their sheep. All right? They gave the, you know, they were around these sheep all the time, so they gave them names. He gives some illustration, long ears, uh, white nose, blacky, you know, some characteristic. And the sheep recognized their shepherd's voice. Now, the shepherd always knew his own sheep because he examined them every day. He spent all day with those sheep, sometimes all night with those sheep. He knew every mark on every one of them. He knew them from top to bottom because he was always with them. And his job was to care for them, make sure they were getting the right food, make sure there was no wounds on them, make sure there was no damage done to those sheep. That he calls his own sheep presupposes that several flocks are in the fold. You know, we talked about a bunch of shepherds bringing there. He's calling his own. He's not calling all the sheep out of the fold. He's calling his own sheep. So there are obviously some in the sheepfold that don't belong to him. Now, Near Eastern shepherds have been known to stand at different spots outside the you know, enclosure and just call the sheep. So I already told you about talked about that illustration. It's amazing. The sheep knew those sheep go to their shepherd. Some shepherds use like a flute or some kind of instrument to play, and the sheep know they're familiar with that. Some just call them by their voice, and they follow them. Well, Yeshua comes to the sheep pen of Judaism, and he calls his own sheep out individually to create his own messianic flock. Now, the assumption is they are some, the assumption is this these sheep are his before he calls them, because he calls his own sheep, all right? So he knows who belongs to him, the one that is given by the Father. And he leads them out. Do you see the doctrine in this story here, in this analogy? This is about divine sovereignty. Irresistible grace. Effectual calling. This is theological what is our Lord saying here? He's giving us the theology of salvation. See, the good shepherd has already chosen his sheep. He's already named them. He knows who they are. He possesses full authority and sole authority to come to Judaism and come to the nations and call out those who are his. He knows them. He calls them by name. And they recognize his voice and they follow him. And they're not going to follow a stranger. They're only going to follow their shepherd. When he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead of them, and the sheep follow him because they know his voice. Now, puts forth here is ekbalo, and according to Strong's, it means to eject, to cast forth, to drive out. See, Yeshua forcefully takes his own. There, listen, people, there's no elect left behind, okay? There's no elect left in the sheepfold that don't belong to Yeshua. 
He gets his own out. You say, well, what about their free will? Well, the Bible doesn't talk about them having any will in this matter, okay? This is a sovereign act of God. He calls and they come, all right? It's a forceful thing here. No elect left behind. He goes ahead of them. Now, unlike Western shepherds who literally drive the sheep, they use sheep dogs, you know, they drive the sheep. Shepherds in the Near East, both now and in Yeshua's day, led their flocks, their voice calling them on. The shepherds go ahead of them, and the sheep just follow. The shepherd goes ahead to make a pathway, to clear danger, to make sure everything's all right where his sheep are going. This, is, this gives us the idea, people, of security. Our shepherd's out there going before us. Anything you deal with, your shepherd's been before you. He knows what's happening. It's protection. It's provision. Your shepherd's in front of you. He's leading. He's meeting all those needs. Now, in this verse, we see Christ is leading those who recognize Him as the Messiah, and they follow Him out of the Old Covenant Judaism. They recognize Him as their Messiah. This action is fulfilling the prophecy of Yahweh's prophet Micah. Look what Micah says in Micah 2, 12, and 13. I will surely assemble all of you, Jacob. I will surely gather the remnant of Israel. Remember, Israel's been scattered all over the nations. I will put them together like a sheep in the fold. I'm going to bring them back to the fold. All right? He says, like a sheep in the fold, like a flock in the midst of the pasture, they will be noisy with men. The breaker goes up before them. They break out, pass through the gate, and go out by it. So their king goes before them and Yahweh at their head. So here's a picture of the Lord Yeshua who is Yahweh leading the flock into the new covenant. Just as prophesied. Again, the people he's talking to knew all these scriptures. So he's quoting these things. When he says he's a shepherd, they should have said, Oh man, is he the fulfillment of all these things? He says in verse 5, a stranger they simply will not follow. They'll flee from him because they don't know the voice of strangers. Don't we wish our small children were as smart as the sheep and wouldn't follow a stranger? Yeah. (laughs) All right, there's a double negative here in this voice. A stranger they absolutely will not follow, but flee from. Matthew 24, 24 says, False Christs and false prophets will arise, and if it were possible, will deceive even the elect. If it were possible, but it's not possible. Okay? Because they're not going to follow a stranger. See, the sheep in verse chapter 10, verse 4 and 5, don't follow a stranger because they don't know his voice. So the man born blind refuses to listen to the Pharisees, but turns to Yeshua as an illustration of the sheep who recognize the voice of their true master. He's not going to follow. He's not, he, we saw in chapter 9, this guy is not intimidated at least by these Pharisees. He mocks them he, you know, because he hears the voice of his shepherd. And this verse should be an encouragement to all of us who share the gospel. Those who belong to God. Those who belong to the true shepherd, when they hear his voice, they're going to follow him. They're not going to follow a stranger. When they hear the truth, they're going to follow Him. He says in verse 6, This figure of speech, Yeshua spoke to them, but they didn't understand what those things were, what she had been saying. They didn't get it. What what are you saying? What's the thing about sheep, shepherd, all this? We don't get it. 
Figure speech. Now, this is, it's amazing to me. The commentators, they go crazy on this, okay? This is not the normal word translated parable, but it comes from the same root. This form is found only here in John. It's found also in John 16, 25, and 29. It's found in 2 Peter 2, 22. Although it's a different form, it's very similar to the more common term parable. People want to make a big deal out of this. This is not a parable. Use a different word. He does use a different word. But both the words refer to extraordinary wide variety of literary forms, which includes proverbs, parables, maxims, similes, analogies, fables, riddles. They all fall into that category. This is just Lazarus' word for the analogy, for a story. He's speaking to them. He's using a figure of speech. He's comparing the shepherd and sheep to what's happened so they can understand it. But they didn't understand. The audience misses the point of the parable. The reference they is who? It's back to the Pharisees, okay? The Jewish leaders of chapter 9, they're the audience. And, you know, they could hardly have failed to understand the relationship between the shepherd and sheep because that was common in their culture. They got that. But they didn't grasp that Yeshua is saying, I'm the shepherd. I am the fulfillment of all those prophecies. You Pharisees are the fulfillment of Ezekiel 34. You're the bad shepherds. See, they didn't get any of that because they didn't want to see that. They couldn't see that. They were blind. So the point of verses 1-6 through is that Yeshua is gathering a flock. He's gathering a people to Himself from the fold of Israel. He's calling out the remnant, the true people of God. And that's what happened in John chapter 9. That's what happened with the blind men. He's calling them out to come into His fold. He calls His own sheep by name, and He leads them out. And Yeshua is also not only leading His own out, not only showing a picture of that, He's accusing those Jewish religious leaders of being false shepherds. You guys are false. You're thieves. You're robbers. I'm the good shepherd. I'm the one whose voice they'll follow. You're strangers. You're rustlers. You don't care for the sheep. You only care for yourselves. That's rough. I, you know, that's what, they didn't get it. They probably got there like, oh, we can't, that can't be us. He can't be talking about us. Ezekiel 34 has got to be talking about somebody else, and he can't be the shepherd. This story, these six verses, I think, are a beautiful story of divine sovereignty. I think it's so clear. He calls his own sheep by name, and he leads them out. He's the sovereign shepherd. It's his own sheep that come. They already belong to him. When did, he, when did He get them? Eternity passed. They already, they've always belonged to Him. They're His. And that's why they come. See, the world today, the church today, has this so backwards. They put it all on man. It's man's response. You've got to get yourself saved. You've got to keep yourself saved. You've got to do it. Well, listen, God did it all. That's something to rejoice in, people. Okay? I came not because I'm smarter than anybody else, not because I figured this all out or anything. I came because I'm one of his sheep and he called me and I followed him. He leads his own sheep out of darkness into the light. Because they're his. So if you've come, if you've followed the shepherd, you don't get to take any glory. You don't get to take any responsibility. You praise him. He receives all the glory because he did everything. He sent His Son as a sacrifice to die for our sin debt. 
And then he calls us sovereignly to himself. The shepherd is sovereign over those sheep. Where they eat, where they drink, where they go, we have a sovereign shepherd. And if we can just grasp the concept of a shepherd, a loving, caring individual who wants to protect and do the best for these sheep, that's our sovereign shepherd. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for this text. Lord, uh, I pray you'd help us ignorant Westerners to help us understand this illustration of shepherd and sheep. May we realize, Father, that you are the good shepherd. Yahweh is my shepherd, and therefore I shall not want. Thank you, Lord. I pray that you would teach us, help us to grasp the significance of this parable, this illustration, that we'd just see how much you love us, Lord. From eternity past, you called us to be your sheep, and at a point in time, you called us out of the pen of sheep into your own flock. Thank you, Lord, for your grace. Amen.